A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. We have to understand God rightly to know him intimately. It is the gospel that orients my thinking on every other issue. You can know if you're trusting in Jesus that every single atom in this universe is working for your good. That's why I'm sticking with Jesus. Not because he always does what I want him to do. I'm sticking with Jesus because I just haven't found any better alternative. Hello everyone, you are listening to episode 74 of the Black Brewer podcast. Uh, my name is Mary and I'm joined with Gabby and Israel. How are you guys doing today? Alright, thanks. Doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you guys been up to? Work, 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 work. Joking. <laughs> That's a serious thing. Back now, just, joking. just recovering from business over the week and all that weekend even. Um, mm. Yeah, likewise, I guess. Um, doing okay primarily studying uh i've got um most of my classes are geared towards old testament studies right now so living my life in the book of judges first kings second Ooh. Kings, samuel some good stuff um, I, <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot happening there a lot i don't know so it's it's been fun and also just a lot of work but yeah what would you, you would have to write like an essay about that or would that what um, you have to do well there's I mean, there's different components. Some of it is translating um, certain passages. I had to outline the book of First Kings, like analytical outline, so down to paragraphs for each chapter. Wow. Um, and what was the the first assignment was a literary analysis of First Samuel 11 to 12, which is David and Bathsheba. So you're trying to like essentially examine the the narrative structure and consider what it's what a main emphasis is based on the actual structure itself. Mm. So it's been a lot of analyzing, reading. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. But, you know, these are probably the least familiar parts of the Bible. For mm. me. Um, so it certainly is more work than if I were to, like, I don't know, outline Romans or something. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, Gabby, how are you doing? Obviously, today we're recording on the, the Monday, which... It hasn't actually aired yet, but today was the Prince Harry, Meghan Markle sit down with Oprah. So yeah, Gabby, have you seen it? What are your first thoughts? If you haven't seen it, what's your reaction to the whole, what everyone's been saying on the timeline? I have not seen it. I've seen Twitter. Twitter <laughs> 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 mm, mm. was giving me a lot. But to be fair, the week already started with Auntie Kelechi and Auntie Jeannie Ashaway. Yes. Oh, and it's been a spicy week and we love to see it. Singing that's with Paul and Bruv. You know, I forgot that um it hasn't aired in the UK yet. No, but well, it's airing tonight. I'm getting it right. Everybody yeah. who wanted to watch it yeah. has found a way to watch it. It's, but it's VPN, VPN. <laughs> <laughs> it's airing in an hour, basically. So most people will do oh, like okay. a live, a but live see, viewing. Some of the some of the highlights. So I say highlights, low lights, the low lights. Yeah. Um, on Twitter. Um, I got a lot of feelings and we, we want to keep this podcast under an hour. I think <laughs> I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Megan is the lightest, the lightest complexion of blackness she could find. And even she's getting smelly, smelly behavior. Um, mm-hmm. And that's to put it lightly. Um, yeah, props to Harry. But then I'm, and then I got feelings because I'm not really monarchy like that. So uh, 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 I'm torn. Um, but yeah, and just in terms of a husband serving his wife, mm. putting down his life mm. for his wife, I said, "Come through, brother." Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's 
it's it's but the, the saddest thing is that I'm not shocked. I'm like, yeah, mm, that's yeah. what And maybe that's yeah. wrong with me, maybe I should be shocked. But when I think of uh monarchy and and its reputation and its history and its allegiance with yeah, wickedness in the world, yeah, I'm not shocked that they still think these things are cool for them to say. Um obviously, uh God knows, God judges, I went in the room. Uh, Megan was and her testimony seems kind of legit to me but um yeah I'm not shocked and I'm and mm. yeah it's yeah it's a reminder of what what some of the conversations um people from our community are having to having to have and some of them are choosing to not have and excuse themselves from the situation and I'm, I'm not mad at her mm. at all um but I'm hearing that Israel had a lot of things to say on, on Israel. <laughs> so yeah he, that's he my rambling thoughts now for the coherent version Israel jokes <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah so uh, I watched it last night um, uh, and it was yeah like uh, like Abby said it was I mean I wasn't surprised um, these things have been at least for me in my in my recollection has been I've been hearing about these kinds of things from um, the tragic death of Diana um, and you know then you get little sort of uh, tidbits throughout the like the past decade, 20, 2000 to 2010. So there's, I've, I've heard and kind of known about the, the turmoil that is inside the royal family. The most interesting thing for me, I think, was observing the American assessment of the interview, because I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a perception, again, this is a generalization, so I'm sure there's someone who disagrees, but I feel like there's a perception in the US that the UK is very quaint, um, chill, polite, wonderful group of people. Um, the royal family is like the best thing ever. And I think the interview just showed, oh no, sin is everywhere. Sin is really everywhere. Mm. Um, and that we need, like we need not idolize a, a place or a nation um, and create the wrong impression that this group of people has everything together. Um, and the interview clearly showed, oh no, you know, even, oh, Am I allowed to um what's the word when you when you say something that's spoiler, not spoilers? Yeah, yeah ep- am I allowed to give a spoiler? Yeah, the episode will drop on Wednesday, so everyone will okay. see it. <laughs> that's true, yes. <laughs> um there was one line where uh Oprah asked Harry, you know, how's your relationship with your brother now, William? And Harry said, The relationship is space. And <laughs> that was techie. That's so sad. The one the Prince Charles one when he was like is space. I said, Wow. After they started airing my calls, I said, "Wow, your father's airing your calls for real." Yeah, and mad. someone, someone um, d- uh, on Twitter said something like, "Harry's response is basically, I don't roll with him like that, but he's still blood.'" <laughs> yeah, basically. And yeah, like it, I think it just really showed everyone. Oh, there is, there's actually there are real problems there. Um, my other, my other comment, my other thought was, um, Harry's support of Meghan was really commendable. Like. That's, you know, if I could say a Christian vision of husbandry, this is it right there, man. He sided with That's Megan. <laughs> like it was, you know. And yeah, no, I hate it, it was It was commendable. And, I'm, and, you know, and he mentions it himself, but a huge part of it is that he saw a lot of these signs with his mum just before her death. And he was like, oh, I see this happening again and I will not allow history to repeat itself for the closest person to me. And so he up and just said, we're going to leave. Um, because I will not repeat history. Um, and it reminded me of um, Dr. Schola's words, you know, um, Harry is to Meghan what Charles can never be to Diana. Ah, there's more thoughts there, but that was, yeah. 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 Uh, but I think, I think, yeah, you're right to pick up on 
can you imagine someone saying that? Because we're talking about Diana, who we love, and Auntie's love, and Charles, who mm. we ain't really feeling. But that's his mum and his dad, and someone acting your yeah. dad about your deceased mum. I think, yeah. obviously, there's a dynamic where they're, a royal, they're, the, they're the royal family, and so it does have implications for for UK culture and, and government and power. But this is his mum and his dad and his brother and his sister-in-law and his mm. grandma and his granddad, and you're estranged. And, and it's actually, like, implications for wider society, we got a lot of feelings about. I, I think just for them as a couple and their in-laws mm. and their family. Because then even on her side, some of her family are moving a bit reckless. Um, yeah. yeah it's, just, it's just so sad. It's sad. For real. Base, yeah. That's your brother. And your brother went through that with you, like... He remembers as much of that as you did, and obviously yeah. he's got to pick a side. Is he going to be? He's going to be the king if the monarchy. Yeah, that... <laughs> monarchy ain't fallen by then. That's the king. Um, mm-hmm. He can't. He can't act his family too much. But I'm sure he's feeling a way about. And you just think, yeah, this is so sad. A as a yeah for the, for the royal family, but B for a family to just having this play out on such a public right. stage. Um, talking about acting your dad and your mom. Mm. Nah, I think that's a lot. Yeah, it must be a hard time for them, man. It's a hard time. Yeah, no, it was it was a it was a good inter- interview. I think Oprah did a good job to ask kind of very good, yeah. compelling questions. Um, yeah, and I think Meghan and Harry represented their their sides very well. Uh, but yeah, anyway, this is the Black Bureau podcast, so <laughs> let's continue with the Church in the Wild series. Israel, you're gonna say something? We should else? consider a full. We should consider a full um, episode on the interview, but that's a, that's that's for. Hey, separate. why not? If there's enough, if there's enough uh, feedback and response, people, if you guys want this interview, just shoot us in our Instagram comments twitter feed whatever the what, what yeah happened? the youtube comments let us know if you want this episode on a, a full episode on the inter- on the harry megan interview yeah for sure um but yeah so this episode so we're still continuing the church in the wild series uh last episode was about prayer we've done fellowship membership we've just we've done a ton of uh sections looking at the church and today we wanted to talk kind of on two things which is like church leadership and church discipline um so let's just let's just kick it off so twofold question from me uh is sub- is submission to church leaders necessary and what do we mean when we when we think of church leaders so would you guys say that so obviously we may have we may have pastors and deacons those are almost like the two official roles we see in the scriptures um so would you say that lead that the leadership is is the pastor alone or would you say it's, it's the deacons as well and then is submission to them really necessary as members or those who just go to a church? I'm bringing that to Israel because Israel okay. trying to be one of these. Israel <laughs> trying to be one of these church leaders. So, <laughs> uh, um, I would yeah. So uh, I'll start with you know what it what is a ch- the question was what is a church leader right or what what does church leadership look like? Um, the two offices you mentioned are. Are, are correct you have pastor slash elder and deacon i would i would say and this is um just to to pay a slight homage to our anglican friends um you can either read it as three offices or two because um there are two words depending on how you argue for the greek that are used to refer to executive leadership one is episkopos which is the word bishop or presbyteros which is the word um pastor elder and so look some at, people would distinguish elder, the two um, look at israel not wasting his money at seminary just Lord. giving us <laughs> not wasting his it. money <laughs> it's true you have to finesse the system um <laughs> so you could yeah so you know anglicans would say there's bishop 
um, pastors uh, slash priests. Probably are they, are they not using interchangeably? That's the, the, that's the non-Episcopal um, argument is that it's interchangeable. But, an, but a, an Anglican would argue that it isn't interchangeable. But that's a separate debate. I'm just saying that there's, that that's a, acknowledging that that's a debate in and of itself. That. Yeah, yeah. So some say it is separate. So there's three offices. Some say it's interchangeable. So there's two. But either way, um, those are the offices referred to in the Pauline letters that um, spe specifically one and two Timothy and Titus that really focus on church leadership. And that's where the church historically has um, drawn its its uh, structure from. So you have the most... Um, the most detailed description of church leadership is First Timothy, um, specifically chapter three, where you have the um, instructions for who is qualified. Um, and then the whole book obviously talks about what their role is to be, um, both pastor and, and deacon. Um, so those are the offices and that's the defense for it. Um, what does it look like to submit to church leadership? Wow. I'll, I'll let Gabby take that one and then and then for some <laughs> follow-up points. <laughs> I'll do, and then you'll do the add-on. <laughs> um, I think what does it look like to submit to church leadership? Um, I think my most instinctive answer is if, if, if your church leadership is faithful, they will only ever be calling you to submit to the scriptures. Um, hmm. This I is why I threw it to Gabby. <laughs> Where's, the, offer I was thinking, I where's the offering plate? Like, where's the offering plate? So the <laughs> offering the offering plate? Now, Are they about to give it around or? Mm, Gabby, say um, that again, please. Yeah. So, so yeah, the the elders' job, um, the qualifications are clear, um, but yet in the life of the church, they're 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 under shepherds, um, and and their their tools are the word of God. Um, that is what they're to they're to preach, they're to defend, they're to proclaim. That's what they shepherd with. That's what they pastor with, and so. Um, any submission that they're calling you to is not necessarily in and of themselves. They're calling you to to submit to the scriptures. That's what they're supposed to be teaching. And so what does it look like to submit to an elder? It looks like to submit to the word of God. I'd, and the elder's job is to preach that, is to teach that, is to share that. Um, so I don't think it's a... If we're talking about submission, oh, the elder said that uh, pink, we wear pink on, on this day. And yeah, that's wild. Don't submit to that. Unless you're doing a... I don't know, breast cancer awareness and there's something going on. Do you know what I mean? But just, yeah, mm -hmm. ultimately what they're calling you sub to submit to is to the scriptures, which is why, uh, yeah, you want to make sure that your elders are proficient in understanding and teaching and explaining the scriptures. That is their authority. There is an authority that goes to the office, but again, that comes from the scriptures. Um, I think what it looks like to submit to an elder is to submit to, is, is to the word of God, which is what the elder is supposed to be teaching. And that's my, that's my... That's my big four, I think. Israel, Israel, Israel what's your top up? Um, <laughs> I guess the only thing I would I would I would say is um, this question is particularly um, relevant given I think what is a sort of anti-authoritarian um, cultural moment in which we live, uh, where I think just the word authority or even the word submission. Um, is I could almost actually say it's triggering. Like it's um, between people who've experienced hurt in the church and just the wider cultural conversation about leadership, whether in business, you know, you think of like Me Too or government corruption, 
um, and I know we're going to get onto it, but like church uh, leadership, um, church leaders who have failed um, both privately and publicly. It, I think, and I, I think I can imagine there are a number of people listening right now who are hesitant about the idea of submitting to leadership or even um, accepting the the role of church authority in their life. Um, so I guess I want to acknowledge that um, and make a brief case for church authority in that um, one, God has given the church for the flourishing of his people and for the flourishing of the world. And that church is not just an organism, which is a body of people, um, Christians living their life uh, in their city or country, but it's also an institution. Um, and so I think a, a case for acknowledging and respecting and uh, seeking the welfare of church authority is a case for seeing that the church is an indispensable feature of the Christian life and the means by which God intends to bless the world. And if that is true about the institution, then we should seek and see that the institution, let me, let me rephrase that last sentence. <laughs> if that is true about the institution of the church, um, then we should actually desire um, the right exercise of church authority and then the right submission under that church authority because its ultimate goal is for the flourishing of humanity. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, Israel um, and Gabby. And I, I think I think sometimes we for, we can forget that like, Christ gives us elders. Like he, he gifts he gifts the church, um, he gifts the saints, the people of God, elders and pastors to lead them. Because um, guys, that's how that's how he, he's he's designed for us to grow. And I think Gabby made a point that when elders and leaders are leading in in healthy ways, so you know, there's a, there's First Peter five that talks about how. Um, pastor should, should should shepherd the flock not under compulsion and they shouldn't domineer but they should be examples and I and I think because hmm. we, we've seen sadly like I was in the clubhouse room the other day and and a woman was talking about an example where her pastor almost discouraged her to go to a specific uni and was, was almost quite controlling and we can kind of talk about the, this the jurisdiction we have of, of submission but when when we are having the healthy leaders those who are serving um and gifted and wanting to serve humbly that their their authority is 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 just showing us how to to submit to them through the scriptures as opposed to this is the final word this is what's happening my way or the, or, or the highway but more like no this is what the scriptures say so this is what we'll do but coming so how do we so how do we disagree with our elders like can we do that how do we do that so for example the the example I just gave of the young lady that spoke about her elder um, forcing her to do this, or maybe an elder could stand up in a in a meeting and say, "This is what I want us to do." And if some people have are not for that way, like how can we actually disagree with them? Can we disagree with the man of God? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In short, yes. No, but yeah, but how how do we how do we do it? I'll jump. I'll, um, I'll get the ball rolling. I think, um, I think it depends what we're disagreeing about. Um, um, if the if the elder is saying this is what the word of God says and he's wrong, he's clearly wrong. That has a different kind of energy to. I think that we should work on the building project. Um, 
So I think we want to be, be clear. And, and, and elders have a responsibility to be clear when they're teaching the word of God and when they're being, when they're sharing wisdom. They are two different things. Um, mm. so the word of God compels you to do this. And that's kind of, and, and I think if your elder is, is saying something incorrect in that space, that's got certain energy. Like, yeah, uh, I'll come back to a point on that. But yeah, that's got certain energy. But if your elder is saying, I think it would be wise for you to consider this. And he's and he has to be clear about that distinction within himself. This is my wisdom. This is my good counsel. Um, but if you don't do this, you're not necessarily in sin. Elders need to be clear about what that line is themselves. Um, so the Gary, let me that- just kind of push back on that. So let's... So of course the whole the the wisdom and then when they're teaching from the scriptures is a really nice uh kind of thing to think through. But how would we let's say for example your your pastor wants you to 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 take a specific job or not to take a specific job or to marry someone, um how would you push back on that and say actually I think, okay that's, so I don't think I can do that. My instinct was a bit like ah, but let me be the most gracious version of myself. <laughs> I think yeah, my, to marry somebody, there's no verse to tell me. <laughs> I should marry John. And mm. I think the pastor has to be clear about, yeah, his, the, the, the tool that he's given God's, God's leaders, his, his leaders to govern his people is God's word. And so you can talk about wisdom. And, and I think there was a clear line. If you're a Christian and you want to marry an unbeliever, the scriptures are clear. Your elder can have energy about that and it's right for them to have energy about that. But whether you should marry Paul or John or, you know, Paul earns a bit more money so you should marry Paul and, and John doesn't. And, and John uh, does this too much, and so that's entirely inappropriate. It's entirely inappropriate because you want to see it in the scriptures. Now, m- maybe the pastor knows Paul a bit better than John, and he's saying, "Sis, Paul is not a shout," and that's wisdom. He's giving you wisdom, and you want to you want to take that seriously. You want your your, elder, your elders ought to be wise people, um, because they're listening to God and so and, and listening to him in, in his word. And so you want to take their wisdom seriously. I'm not saying disregard it at all. But to say you must take this job. Now there are right reasons for an elder to raise concerns about a job. Maybe it's a bit maybe it's an idol. Maybe it demands too much of your time such that you don't take care of your other responsibilities as a as a church member, as a husband, as a friend, etc. Your elder should raise concerns about those things. But to say um the Bible compels me to say that you have to resign from your job I think there's I think there's there's a line there and I think that is an an overstepping of it your elder should raise concerns about the job and if it's and if it's growing you in godliness or if it's causing you if it's helping tempting you to sin and so on and so forth um or maybe because that brother's not mature or or there's a certain sin that he's struggling with and the elder knows that and he's giving you wisdom saying sister I don't think it's wise to marry that guy but to say you must not marry that man who is a believer um yeah, I think the the scripture is the bar as to where we draw as to where we draw that line. And the other thing that I think is absolutely vital and vital in this conversation is that the Bible talks to a plurality of elders. That means more than one elder. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're in a difficult situation with one elder, there ought to be other elders that you can go to and said, uh, "Elder number one said this. Elder number two, I, I feel a bit uncomfortable about this. I can't see it in the scriptures." Can you help me? Um, yeah. C- can you either help me see what I'm not seeing, or can you need you need you're compelled to talk to your co-elder? Mm. Um, yeah, the scripture is the final authority, and if we're not teaching from the scripture, we're te- and we're te- and we're talking about wisdom, we have to be clear about what 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 that line is. Maybe I had mm. a bit too much energy there, Israel. No, you? I think I think that's a. Let me just ask Israel a quick question. So, mm-hmm. so we so what does sub- submitting to 
elders look like? So are we saying that we should only submit um, in areas where the scripture is clear on? Because I'm just thinking of when an elder mm. says, this is my vision or this is a vision that we have for the church. We want to go right. this way. We're going to spend this much money. This is the, And even if you, you might even disagree and say, actually, I don't want to do this. And they're saying, this is what we're going to do. And plurality mm. of elders. Uh, plurality <laughs> of elders. I'm going to keep this in because that was funny. Plurality of elders, yeah. So we're just saying, yep, we've got to submit to that. Um, I think I think an uh, illustration might be helpful to that. Um, I think one way to think about it is the way we consider in Western democracies um, our submission to to governments. And I want and not even necessarily like national governments, but um, like local governments. So I think of, um, I grew up in Greenwich. So the Royal Borough of Greenwich um, dictates a lot of, you know, housing policies um, regarding, so if you're, let's say, you know, I grew up in a council estate, they, they dictate the price, the bills, a lot of, um, you know, small, minor, policies zoning laws and rules that just make make sure that life in the in the borough can run well for the most part we, everyone in the borough submits to that um but if you actually have a genuine disagreement um what you find is that you can appeal um to a policy that's been pushed on you now to do that you would go to a quote unquote you go to a court a trial court an appeal court um, and at that point, what you'd be doing is um, making a ca- making a case not to listen to the authorities on a specific issue by virtue of the laws um, written in the land. And we call this the rule of law. So like the actual standard that rules Western democracies is the law of that country. Um, it's not te- technically, it's not even the people. So it's not the prime minister, it's the law, such that if the prime minister says we're going to do something and you are convinced it disagrees with the law of the land, you can make a case that the prime minister has no authority to do that because it is outside the established law of the land. I think similarly um, in the church, the minister, the pastor can make tons of decisions right, without some um, referendum or vote. Um, they can decide what time the church meets in the morning. They can decide um, what color the wall be painted, um, the structure of the worship service, a lot of things. Um, but if a member is to actually say this particular decision that the pastor is making, I disagree with, it will have to be based on the rule of law of the church, which is obviously the scriptures, right? And I think as Gavi's mentioned, as we've mentioned, like that's that's the basis upon which you can genuinely challenge the authority of the pastor because what you would say, like you would say to the prime minister, hey, you don't actually have any authority outside the law of England. You would also say to the pastor, hey, you don't actually have any authority outside the law of scripture. Um, So if you can't show to me that the decision you're making and the authority you're exercising falls under scripture, then you don't have any authority to do it. Um, and I think that's, you know, and, and I, maybe that's helpful to say that if you, if you're in church and you're seeing a couple of decisions being made, h- however petty from, you know, the color of the wall to, you know, uh, serious, um, conversations about, and we'll get to this like excommunication, 
um, in every case, if you genuinely um, have an issue, the only question you need to ask yourself is, is, this, is the pastor making this decision under the rule of scripture? And if they are, then I don't have a case to make against them doing that. I can not like it. You're more than free to not like the decision they made. Um, you can write a little letter saying, hey, I don't like that we switched the meeting time to 9 a.m. That's far too early for me. But guess what you have to do next Sunday? Wake up and get to church at 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, because they that decision doesn't, um, one, go against scripture. It doesn't prevent you from serving God under the Lordship of Christ. Um, and so y- your case for disagreeing is just preference. And you can say he's the, the, the he's the pastor, and so I'm gonna come to church at nine a.m. Yeah, no, I think that's quite helpful. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's just it's it's it sometimes can be difficult, but it's a good reminder that we should um, submit to leadership in in whatever way that looks like. And of course, if if there are like glaring issues that you can see in scripture, then we should respectfully raise them. But yeah, they're, they're leading us. They 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 keep they they they're responsible um for shepherding our souls and we should definitely look to them and submit to and, them yeah and i think i think they're important things to say because i think um sometimes we can so we can see so many poor examples of church leadership um that we just have an automatic disdain like just an automatic disregard or automatic just suspicion um and that's understandable for yeah a, a the the as as you said the anti-authoritarian era we live in, but also because of a lot of our experiences. I think, um, but I am going to say that if you are in a church where um, your elder has shown a that he meets the qualifications, there's more to be said on that. But he's met the qualifications, and he loves the Lord, and he cares for God's people. Um, that is a very difficult job to do, like. I work quite closely with elders, both in my local church and yeah, in my in the other roles that I have. And um yeah, the role that they play in the life of the church is one to which they will give account for, and they're often very aware of that. It's a role that requires much sacrifice from them, from their families. Um yeah, they labor <laughs> writing sermons, um, walking with people in, in difficult moments, counseling people whose hearts are wandering from the Lord. Um yeah, it's a difficult job. And so, yeah, if you do have an elder that one it's a bit of a, a bit of a side eye and, and because they're walking in sin, because they're because they're using their authority, they're abusing their authority. Well, more than side eye, that needs handling. But where you have an elder that's sincere and prays for you and labors to teach you God's word and checks in and uh, yeah, and, and walks with you in those difficult moments, nine times out of ten, that's an elder that you need to be praying for and that you need to encourage. Um yeah, because it's a difficult job, I think. Mm. Yeah, it, it mm. let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour. So definitely, you know, appreciate your pastors in that. Um, moving on, just to consider um, church discipline, corrective discipline. How would you guys quickly define that? And, and where do we even see that in the scriptures? Wow. Mad silence. <laughs> I don't want to say it because I don't want to get it wrong. Matthew 18. Yep, Matthew 18 is one. Praise the Lord. Matthew um, 18 is one. Let me just make sure I've got okay. Matthew 18. But um, what is church discipline? Uh, usually in churches that have some form of membership, how you, how, however they phrase that, but mm-hmm. something that means that you belong to this church family, 
Um, that is saying that you are living and walking and, and professing to be a believer. Um, where somebody is um, decidedly, um, intentionally, in a prolonged manner, living in a way not in accordance with what God has called them to, um, churches, well, the scripture teaches that it's right to, after correction after correction and conversation after conversation, it's usually quite a long process, um, it's right to remove membership from that person because the, the way that they are living should no longer give them confidence that they are believing the scriptures, that they're that they're Christian. Now, um, that is done, and the scripture will go on to say this, that is done in the hope that they will see the weight of their sin and repent and be restored to church membership. That is the mm-hmm. aim of church discipline. Um, yeah, it, and, and it is it is a very um, um, useful tool. Um, it's the, it's often a last resort in the life of a church family, um, but but when needed, it's it's necessary to communicate to somebody the gravity of the sin, the the willful rebellion that they're living in, and and if they continue as as they are in unrepentance, um, what that will mean for them in eternity. But with the hope that such a drastic action will communicate. Will bring them. Will bring to bear. Yeah, the situ- the the dangerous situation that they're in, the yeah, the the danger of the sin that they're um, willfully committing, and bring them to a point of repentance. I think that's how I describe church hmm. discipline, and we see it most clearly in in Matthew eighteen, the kind of steps. Um, but other part, yeah, other scriptures as well, but most clearly, yeah, Matthew. 18. So, so would you say that church discipline is always removal of, of church membership or removal of that person in the church? Or are there other forms of like church discipline? That's a good question. I think what we see in the scriptures is is some sort of re- removal from the, the kind of final straw of that. Some sort of removal from, um, yeah, the the belongingness. Now that doesn't mean that they don't come to church. People who are be, <laughs> in church discipline should still are still welcome to gather with God's people in, in terms of in communal worship. But are they a member of the church? No, I think I think. The steps that happen before that, you may want to call them discipline, you may not. So if someone's Mm -hmm. in a a leadership position, for example, well, not an elder, I'm not talking about elders, I think that's a separate thing. Let's say you you lead the Sunday uh, service uh, singing (laughs) um, and you're struggling with a a specific sin and and it's kind of in process. May it be healthy for you to take a moment for yourself to, um, to, to consider where you are and what's happening in your heart and and sometimes the Lord disciplines you. And in that moment, is it helpful for you to feel that dis- the discipline from the Lord and therefore to step back from other responsibilities? Would it be appropriate for you to step back from other responsibilities? I think yes. And that may even be a step before the kind of final mark of church discipline, the removal from the from church membership. Um, yeah, and I think our churches will flex that differently. And I suppose that's where there can be some grey. But that's not, that's not always discipline in the sense of we're disciplining you. That may be, that's for your... That may be for your your best in that moment as as a part of your repentance. Um, yeah, my thoughts, Israel. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, but let me jump in before Israel because I, I I do believe that excommunication or removal of someone from the membership or just the church, if you don't have a membership um, mm. body body or whatever it's called, it is a, is definitely the final form of church discipline. But I do think there are kind of steps before that that can be seen as church discipline just because you're you're trying to restore that person mm-hmm. before they you have to do the almost extreme thing of of seeing them as an unbeliever which is essentially what excommunication is mm-hmm. um 
So I think, yeah, the example you gave of sis, you know, you might need to step away from the singing for a minute or bro, you might not need to be at the front to 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 welcome the visitors. That, that might be a sign just because you want that person to to repent. Um, but if you see ongoing steps of um, unrepentance, then you might need to say, okay, this person needs to, to, to face church discipline. Is I'm going to jump onto you. So but we're all clear that church discipline is done by church leadership hence the so i can't just say today you know what gabby's really like i'm not i don't like she's not loving me so i'm just gonna put her under church discipline look off (laughs) (laughs) so church church discipline is done by elders and pastors of the church not just you that just says you know i'm done with i don't want to talk to the sisters i'm putting her under my own church discipline (laughs) but not israel please go because i wanted to just say that before people just say yeah i heard on black berea that you can just put someone under um I guess, well, yeah, well, there are two things that, I'm trying to remember the second again. <laughs> I had two things. I'll, I'll say the first and then and then hopefully the second will come to mind. Um, oh, I remember them now. Okay, so the first thing to say is um, the distinct, the marks of the church where we, in, in Protestant uh, theology, there have been three marks of the church, the right preaching of the gospel, the right administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and church discipline. Now, some people have actually put church discipline under preaching, and they say there are two marks, just preaching and sacraments. And the reason that discipline sometimes goes under preaching in some um, articulations of of the marks of the church is because discipline, um, as Gabby mentioned, is is the, and especially how you see it in, in Matthew 18, um, and the example we have in First Corinthians from Paul um, is essentially the the end of the work of seeking to to bring uh, the sin of a particular individual to their attention in hopes of repentance. Um, and so, when someone is excommunicated, what's actually been said there is that you haven't yet attended to your sin in such a way that actually communicates that you take seriously the call um, to holiness within the life of the church and so what you're doing functionally is living life um, as though you are outside of the church and therefore we're actually going to follow through and show you what the the, fu- the thing you're doing functionally will then be um, exacted in reality you are living life like an outsider of the church so you will be outside of the church um and if you wish to live life as one who is inside the church then repentance will follow for which one will be brought back into the church and that's actually that's that's the, the overall hope of excommunication or, or church discipline um but it's not so even the word discipline i i, I already know that you know that again that sounds very really that's, that's a bit intense um, but discipline bears a remarkable uh, resemblance to discipleship and um, to being a disciple. And essentially, is to, it's, it's the overall idea is being conformed into a particular image. Um, and I think the best, well, I'm going to say the best, a good picture of the overall hope of discipline is actually in Second Timothy as well. The famous passage about um, all scriptures breathed out by God. Um, Paul goes, Paul goes on to say that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. And that is the overall vision of discipline is that as the leadership teaches the word, 
Again, this is why discipleship, um, discipline sometimes comes under preaching. As they teach the word, the word itself will show, um, will instruct the believer in the right doctrines, in the right practices, um, in the right lifestyle. Um, and where they stray away, it will offer correction. It will offer reproof. And overall, it will instruct and train in righteousness, that they would become more and more like Christ. Um so it's not like a, it's it's not to be heard or seen as a, um, an excuse for a pastor to find the one wrong thing in the church member, um, and then to like tell them off. I don't want, I don't, I don't. It's not helpful to see it that way. Although, unfortunately, a lot of pastors have used it like that. You know, I'm exercising church discipline, which for them has basically meant I have an excuse to harm you for something I don't like you, you doing. Um, and obviously that is outside the bounds of church discipline. The other thing to mention is just a reminder, especially as we hear and talk about church discipline, this is all happening within the context of a voluntary institution. Like no one, I, when when a person becomes a member, I don't know if, I think we cover this in church membership, right? They are voluntarily choosing to come under the leadership of the church um, to move beyond just a podcast pastor, right? To move beyond just, this is a good talk, but to say, I want to be involved in the life of this community and I want to be instructed in a particular way of life, namely the Christian way of life. Um, and I want to grow in that righteousness, in that Christ-likeness. Um, and part of that means taking seriously the words of Paul, where he says, you know, the pastors and deacons have been given leadership in the church um, and this is a voluntary entrance so if someone has voluntarily chosen to enter the christian community they've also ch voluntarily chosen to be subject to discipline when they do stray um, so i don't want this to be read as some sort of like people have been forced against their will um you know this this person was dragged into the church and then they were harmed like they no pastor will exercise, a pastor will only exercise authority over those who have voluntarily chosen to come under the authority. I think that's just yeah. the way to succinctly say it. Yeah. No, I think that's helpful. And I think, like Gabby mentioned, church discipline is, is restorative and church discipline is done in love, like love to the person, love for the world, love for the church, love for Christ, because you're trying to ensure that you're honoring the Lord. Um, how So how should churches exercise church discipline that's just the matthew 18 uh is it, i think first corinthians the first Corinthians five have an example as well um yeah and then how do you let's say there is mm. an instance when you do excommunicate how how does the church as in members of the church like how do you, how do they actually interact with that person who's been excommunicated this almost feels like bible study oof, oof, oof. <laughs> Um, how did it exercise church discipline? I guess um, I, would, I, think, I would start. Yeah, go on. No, no, no. I was just going to give examples of what I've seen. I've seen some mm -hmm. egregious church discipline where the pastor comes on a Sunday and says, I'm removing this person from the choir because they did this, 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 this. And yeah. And you're thinking, wow. And then I've seen church discipline where a meeting is called um, the the elders kind of present the case of why the person's being excommunicated, sh just sharing needful information, and then 
what our duty is as, as members. So that that was just like an example I thought I'd give in case that's helpful for people. But I think some some people have either only seen seen really bad church discipline where it's scandal and gossip and malice and slander. Um, and I think yeah, there are there are steps in which we can take in the scriptures where church discipline is for that person uh, in a restorative manner. Right. Um, I would also note that a lot of, I think, what will constitute church discipline will also depend on one's particular view of um, the structure of the church, namely whether you are Baptistic or Congregationalist, I should say. Yeah, that's um, good. Where the local church is, um, all the authority of the church is contained just in the local church. Presbyterian would be the sort of the next level up where um, all the elders in a particular denomination or a particular regional presbytery of the church contain that authority to church discipline. And then your Episcopalians, Anglicans, where the bishop is the one that holds the authority to excommunicate, not the pastor, you know, rector, vicar, whoever. Um, so that, you know, those three different models will bear very different consequences. So if it's the bishop, that's the one doing excommunicating. That's a very different situation to if it's the pastor. Um, of that particular church um i just made that as a as a note uh no that's but yeah <laughs> um oh, i i'm trying to think about other point I'll, I'll i'll pause here as i think about it but <laughs> gabby what are you saying um i think I, I think it was my first my first um church in the world episode i was talking about when i grew up the church i grew up in i was talking about backbenching people i've seen terrible terrible church discipline basically the only issue that anyone has ever disciplined in the life of the church is when someone's pregnant that's the church I grew up pregnant (laughs) that's the only reason that church discipline any other sin you can be doing rampant rampant even the sex that warranted the pregnancy that can be happening for years but it's when pregnancy hits that that's when church discipline kicks in that's tragic Hmm. it's Hmm. unchristian it's unbiblical um but the thing is even in the church I grew up in it wasn't even just church discipline it was backbench You had to sit on the back, the physical, literal back bench of church. I should have been laughed. That might be triggering, but yeah, mm. that's the kind of context I grew up in. Um, praise God that that's just so far from what what the scriptures are kind of um, lay out for us. The interesting thing about the way that the scriptures lay out is that really and truly, there, there's so many steps that, it, that there's a lot of steps before it becomes a public situation. So that situation where the pastor's going up on a Sunday and saying, "Sister, with the short skirt, sit down." That situation. That can never, that, that ought never to happen. But mm. the way that the scripture lays it out, if you have an issue with a brother or sister, you approach them privately. Mm. You approach them privately and say, this is the situation. Um, and now the hope is that they'll say, oh, fam, I didn't even clock. You're so right. Um, well, yeah, that's something I need to think about and pray about. Thank you for like, yeah, for helping me to be aware of that. They repent. You've won a brother. You keep it moving. It, 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 that situation, you know, the ideal form, um, it never goes beyond the two of you. Um, and then even then, if it, if, if it's a bit heated and nothing's kind of resolved, you bring what one, is it one or two, one with you to black bear witness. There's levels before it gets to the whole church family being involved. And even that being involved is kind of an articulation of what the issue is and not the salacious, uh, sun-uncovered version. These are the facts <laughs> of the situation. This is what we need to know. We don't need to know that mm. it was 4 a.m. I stand this, this, this. No, mm-hmm. that's not what we need. No, we need to know yep. what the situation was. The person is unrepentant. This is what the pastors or the elders. And then obviously some situations, the elders' decision will be final or it will, yeah, it will go to the congregation to kind of make a decision about. 
I do, I do, I can feel myself wanting to avoid the bit that feels like it should be avoided. <laughs> what part? Because the question is, how does the church, how does the church um, engage with church discipline? Yeah, okay. And I think this can be where it, it can, it's actually quite a difficult thing, but I think it's, it's the right thing and a necessary thing. So, so, the, so if you're, you're, you mentioned one Corinthians before one Corinthians five, and it says that if a, if a, if a non-Christian is living like a non-Christian, of course, mm-hmm. then we're that's what, yeah, that's fine. If someone who is professing faith, who is saying they're, they're a Christian is living uh, in a way that it is living as a non-Christian is living in an ongoing kind of very aware way that is inconsistent with what it means to be, to be a Christian. That's the kind of situation that you would be removing someone from membership for. Um, if they are living like that, that person, you ought to have nothing to do with. Um, you ought to not, the, the passage says, verse uh, 11, says you ought to have, don't eat or drink with them. Don't chill with them. That's where it can feel like it rubs up. If, 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 if this episode hasn't rubbed someone up the wrong way so far, that's the moment where it feels like it's the wrong way. If somebody has been, um, yeah, is 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 in willful and ongoing sin, is unrepentant, and likely has been put out of membership, and and is carrying on, that person, the Christian, ought to have nothing to do with. That feels so harsh. Mm. Um, until we look at the world that we live in, and the number one thing people say about Christians, and they're right to do so, is that we're hypocrites. We say this, we say this, we say this, but we live willfully and nothing like what we say the christian's life is supposed to adorn the gospel it's supposed to make the gospel beautiful it's supposed to be the you know um exhibit a of of what it looks like to live as a believer and what difference that makes and so when someone is living in sin and everybody knows and that person is saying they're a christian we all know situations like that i thought you were a christian and they're it's not like they're struggling and repenting we're not talking about that someone who says yeah i'm a christian and this is what i'm doing and that's the end of that um that maligns the gospel, it undermines the gospel. Um, it's entirely inconsistent with Christ himself. And that person, the Christian, ought to have nothing to do with. That's what the scriptures say. Um, and I think the way that I've heard it most, yeah, kind of helpfully um, conveyed is when I'm chilling with that person, I don't want to give them the understanding that what the situation they're in is safe. If I'm sitting with someone who's a uh, his body's on fire. I'm not going to sit and have a cup of tea with you without saying, bro, your coat is on fire. Mm. <laughs> the Christian he's living in, well, the person he's living in willful sin and unrepenting, their coat is on fire. For me to now chill with you doing gang, gang, gang and not say, P.S. bro, your coat is on fire. You, it, it's, it's catching your hair, like your back's go up in flames. That's not loving to them and it communicates a wrong message to them. Um, and it's not seeking to see them restored. It's seeking to just chill with them on fire. Um, and so it, it, it does feel harsh, but it does a number of things. It preserves the church. It preserves the church's witness. Mm. Um, and and it's the most loving thing to do for that brother or sister who is on fire. Um, yeah. And I think that's the part I can feel myself shying away from. So I've said, oh, let me just back <laughs> that one and take it. Out. No, yeah. that's really helpful. Because <laughs> um, when, I, when, mm. I when I was looking at different about church discipline uh, there was a quote I, I, I don't even know where I took it from so if the person hears I'm really sorry but um it, yeah it just backs up what Gabby said a failure to practice church discipline undermines the preaching discipline and evangelism ministry of a church um yeah just just ruins the the, the, the church's witness and it's unloving as well and it's, it's unloving to the person and to Christ and I think when I'm thinking through church discipline there's just like yeah it, it's very sobering um when when you know it, within my local church where that's been addressed it's like wow like mary takes sin seriously 
and because I think, okay, this person now may be in in a, a period of unrepentant sin. Um, but Mary, what's that sin that so easily besets that sometimes you're thinking, ha, is this thing gonna overtake me? And that's Mary, where preach that, preach that, preach yeah, that. And, and that's where you you just get a bit like for me, I always go home like just broken. Um, but yeah, and but the aim of of church discipline is restorative. It's really is showing that the Lord disciplines the, the ones He loves, and 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 what it means for the church is if, if that person's restored, praise the Lord. And it doesn't mean ah oh, he's back. Oh, look at him now. What's he gonna do? Da-da-da-da. Or let me look at let me let me let me stand back from a distance. No, it's actually drawing that person in because they're a brother. Um, but now, but church discipline has always left me so sober. Um, anything else anyone wants to add? I think I've got uh, one question about you know, what happens if a church leader sins? Um, and by sins, I mean like a significant, uh, scandalous sin, as opposed to he, he doesn't say hi to you. And then you took that as a sin. Yeah. Is there any, anything anyone wants to add before we jump onto that? Let's go into it. Okay. So what happens if a church leader sins? <laughs> <laughs> scandalous sins, significant sins, troublesome sins. I think this is where... Um... The benefit of this is where I will make a, a strong this guy's case. about to this guy's about to um present the presbytery way. I just know my I just know my friend as well. But you guys know, you guys know. But this is yeah, I think this is where a strong case can be made for um at least a Presbyterian st- style of government, um, possibly Episcopalian too, in the sense that there's um church leadership above that particular pastor of that local church for which the congregation can appeal to for their removal. Um, And I think that's really helpful because what tends to happen is in the, in the case where a church pastor, you know, doesn't um, commits an egregious sin. We're thinking here, you know, like money laundering, adultery, um, you know, it's either, um, a big battle ensues within the church where the pastor struggles to hold on to the power they have and people who are really, really disagree just end up leaving and the pastor stays or the pastor it does end up being kicked out but only after a long um, fight where multiple people are hurt. But I think being able to appeal to authority beyond that pastor means that they handle the messiness Ideally, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't always work out like this, but ideally um, the presbytery or the bishop handles the messiness of removing that person because of their sin. Um, but yeah, so that's my case for going. Now, quick question, because if you're in a church um, that has multiple elders, because I'm not going to trip my words up again, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's, there's like a handful of elders, can they not still do that um, similar to the presbytery model? They can. They can, yes. Um I would uh, I would argue that part of the messy, part of, okay maybe yeah, you're right they can and I think a good, good case can be made for it. <laughs> um, my only pushback, <laughs> my only pushback would be part of the potential messiness is the involvement. You know when you have um, three or four elders at one church, there is a particular buy-in um, to the church, mm. so you don't have someone on the outside who's what's the word. Um, not indifferent but like impartial yeah like yeah impartial outside of the particular nuances of that congregation that can just speak to hey this is what's happening and clay and you know doesn't have any is not negatively or positive positively affected by 
either them staying or being removed. Um, I think that's one of the benefits of having like elders from another church or a bishop coming into that situation. But in principle, yes, it could be the case that, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, and thankfully there are lots of congregational Baptistic churches that do do this, where the other elders can speak truthfully to that person, mm. um, and then actually act in accordance with what the scriptures require of them to remove them when they um, commit an egregious, egregious sin. Mm. Um, I'll jump on. Um, if a if a pastor, someone in leadership, an elder sins, um, I'm actually going to um, advise that if it's necessary, you call the police. Um, hmm. That's not a, that's not a wrong port of call. If someone is money laundering, if someone is abusing power, that's a safeguarding hmm. issue. If someone's doing hmm. that, I mean, sexual violence. Call the police. Call the elders. Also, call the police. I think that's God has given. Uh, we don't we don't often like you know God has given us government. Sometimes we side eye that God has given us government to, to enact justice. Um, and if your elder, church leader, Sunday school teacher, music director is committing a criminal act um, or or violating safeguarding procedure, please call the police. That's number one. Number two, yeah, I'm Baptist. <laughs> um, we have a plurality of elders. I think that's why, um, yeah, we have a plurality of elders. Um, my elder has elders, the other elders on the, and, and, and is subject to church discipline and as anyone else would be, but maybe even mm. a bit more fair because they are, um, because they are teaching God's word. Um, the qualifications, when it talks about someone, an elder meeting the qualifications for an elder, it's not once you meet the qualifications, then you stop reading the book. You know, like when I was doing exams, once, you know, study for the <laughs> exam, study for qualification, boom, can't remember a single thing. Can't remember a single thing, I'm done. Uh... Ongoing qualification. Uh, if, if an elder meets the qualifications on day one and day seven, they are no longer above reproach, guess what? Today you don't meet the qualifications. That's okay. You're not mm. an elder by force. You can be removed, um, and that's interesting. Specifically, Stockwell Baptist Church has a mechanism by which the um, members can call. <laughs> so, relax. Elders got moved to my <laughs> elders. The members can call an, a meeting, a members yeah. meeting, to vote out an elder. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think those mechanisms are in place for good reason. Clearly, um, but ultimately, yeah, you want. Um, yeah, what happens if a pastor sins? A obviously, what we you know, egregious sin the least that should happen is that they're removed from eldership. They may also need to be, need to be put under church discipline. They may, or you may also need to call the police. The mechanisms by which you um, remove them as an elder, or by, by which you put them in church discipline will look different for denomination, of course. Um, and that's why, yeah, alone, I think a lone guy at the top is always going to be, that's, that's a red flag. Because who is he accountable to? Now, of course, in, in some structures, he's accountable to the guy on top of him. Well, who's he accountable to? Okay, we're going all the way up. We got the Pope. Like, I think a flat, a flat hierarchy top of the church where there's mutual mutual accountability, um, where there's a, a, a mutual um, authority, even between them, is is helpful at that point because um, the other elders, um, yeah, are in the position to 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 either bring it to the attention of the church if it's congregational model, or to just remove the elder from from leadership. Um, I do think one the last thing I say on this because I've seen the clock it's over the hour and I'm always the one advocating for the hour. So let me say the last thing. I think we would save ourselves <laughs> a lot of issues in this area if we a held to the biblical qualifications for leadership, um, but also cancelled non-biblical qualifications for leadership. Um, 
biblical qualifications of leadership are, are clear. We've got them in, in, in Timothy and in Titus, but sometimes we have secret qualifications for leadership. It's got to be charismatic, got to be charming. We, some, some of us have secret uh, alpha male on the list of qualifications for elder. Um, God is wise in the qualifications toxic masculinity. he gives Sorry. Huh? That's toxic masculinity, but sorry, please. I wanna, I'm, not, I'm not joining for any uh, language <laughs> anyone can veto. I'm just saying what it is. <laughs> Some of, yeah, and and of course, if a, if a man is qualified to be an elder and happens to be those things also, that's fantastic, but they are not qualifications in and of themselves. Going to seminary is not a qualification for leadership. A university degree is not a qualification for eldership. Um, the qualifications are clear, and I think sometimes we we look at what the world loves and what the world values in leaders. They can just get stuff done. They're pragmatists, that um, and, and we and we think that those things will be valuable in the life of the church, and we use them as a qualification almost for eldership. I think we do well to um, the qualifications for eldership that we have in scripture are actually high, and um, and I don't think we should swap them out for worldly equivalents of what we think a, a leader should look like. I think that would save us some palaver. Yeah, really, really word. helpful. Really, really helpful, Gabby. Um, there's so much more that can be said some things that we will cover in, in future episodes our next episode is going to be all about church hurt so i'm sure that's something that you guys are looking forward to but guys yeah uh, let's continue the conversation let's let's have tell us what you think about the episode uh your experience of church leadership your experience of church discipline um yeah this is this is church in the wild gabby israel mm. always pleasure talking to you guys um, likewise likewise yeah bye guys bye peace <laughs>